In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Julie Greenham is our guest this week on Money Tales. Julie had a major money transformation as an adult. As a child, she was never taught about money. It wasn't discussed, but she sure could feel the weight of it. Julie knew that money was coming in and the next day it was going out. She explains that her mom has bipolar disorder, which contributed to her spending money extravagantly and then didn't have enough to tie them over until her next paycheck. Later, in her marriage, Julie defaulted to letting her partner handle the money. That decision was grounded in shame, and she didn't feel smart enough to take on the responsibility. As you'll hear in our conversation, Julie chipped away at increasing her knowledge about money. And with time and help from others, she's not afraid of money anymore. Julie is an introverted entrepreneur and business mindfulness coach. She helps her clients discover that introversion and business success are not mutually exclusive. In fact, introversion can be your superpower if you tune into it and allow it to guide you. She coaches clients one-on-one and through a group program called the Mindful Entrepreneur Membership. Julie also hosts the Quiet Powerhouse podcast. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three Money Tales conversation topics Julie covers in this conversation. First, don't make a big mountain out of understanding money. Becoming financially literate involves a series of small steps. Second, we're not at the mercy of money. We can be in a more commanding place. And third, financial parenting with an ex-spouse. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and don't forget to subscribe to Money Tales. At the end of this interview, Cammy and I pick up on the topic of financial parenting with an ex, so stick around for that. Now, onto our conversation with Julie Greenham. Welcome back to another episode of Money Tales. This is Cammy, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hey, Cammy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sandy. I had a question for you. You are a prolific reader. And I'm just curious if you have read any interesting money conversation type books that you want to share with our listeners. Well, sure. The book I'm reading right now isn't specifically related to money. It's a book I'm reading with our financial parenting book club. So that's a small group of clients and I who get together about every quarter to read a book around financial parenting. And we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent focusing on books that help with communication. Because when you're going to be financially parenting or talking about money, having really strong communication skills works. So at the suggestion of a family consultant that I know, we're reading a book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Have you heard of this book? I have not. I'm terribly interested. I should be reading this. Yeah, it wasn't something that I had known about, but it was written in the 70s. It's been updated since then, 
but it hasn't been modernized. It's quite good. I'm learning so many things. I kind of wish I picked this book up when my kids were younger, but there's still great things in here for older kids. But some of the examples are definitely dated. But what I think has been really helpful is the idea of helping children name their feelings and acknowledging their feelings and helping them come up with solutions, enrolling them in the solution of whatever the problem might be, and then encouraging autonomy on their part. And I think all of those communication skills are really important when it comes to talking about money with anybody, but particularly kids, because kids have feelings about money. I'm looking forward to discussing it with the book club soon. It is interesting as a timepiece, but the learnings I think are evergreen. It sounds applicable for me with younger kids, but also I believe that these tips are really applicable to everybody. I really love the idea of naming your feelings. We talked about the power of naming in previous episodes. What a nice segue to talk money with our guest on Money Tales. Julie Greenham, welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you for having me. Would you provide an overview, introduction to yourself with a couple pivotal moments that really impacted you? Yes, I'm Julie Greenham. I run a business called The Quiet Powerhouses, where I help introverts to sell and market their products. It's interesting starting a business. This is my second one. When you have so many money blocks. And I always talk about how business is not about all the strategies and everything. It's truly about personal growth. And I've never learned so much about money and face my money fears and my money blocks when I started a business. It brought me to places of my childhood. I was raised by a single mother, how my mom talked about money, her fears, passing that on generationally, and trying to stop that with my own children so that they want to talk about money so that when they ask questions about investing or starting a small business of their own with cutting the grass and things like that, how we can have open conversations about that. What a perfect introduction. And let's go back in time. You mentioned your mom brought up money fears. Could you talk more about that? If I look at my childhood, I remember us moving a lot, feeling the weight of my mother never having enough money and working a lot. Was she talking about it? Is that how you felt the weight? She wasn't really talking about it. When I had my children, when I was going through my own personal growth as well, how am I to pass this on to my kids and how can they have a better financial education than I did? It was about harnessing my own knowledge and talking about it and learning about it, learning about investments and how to manage my money. I was never taught to manage money at all from my mom. I just knew that money was coming in and the next day it was out. My mom was bipolar as well. I should mention that. So there was a lot of spending money extravagantly and then not having anything and then having nothing to tie us over until her next paycheck. So that was very difficult. And I had a pattern of doing that when I was very young, when I had my first job. After I got married, things were still not great with managing money. And I partnered up with someone that also wasn't really taught about that. So that was really interesting. What really switched for me, how I really started to learn more about managing money and all the benefits is my divorce last year. And that's when I reached out to one of your past guests, actually on the podcast, Melissa Houston, who's a financial strategist for CEOs. She's so wonderful. I had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt around not knowing 
what I didn't know. She was just very open and welcoming and say, Julie, this is really common. I will teach you. We'll work through this together. Through my divorce, I realized that I did not know what I had. I did not know my life insurance. I did not know monies that I had through RESPs with the kids' RESPs. I had no clue and I was starting on my own. And I thought, I better get this right, especially in a time where we sold our home in a really amazing market time. And I knew that I was going to get this huge amount of money. And I just didn't want to do what I did before, wasting money, not knowing where it went, spending it on superficial things, which we should all do at times. But my past has shown that I have an extreme tendency in doing that very often. I purchase things that I want to purchase. I just really wanted to get it right. Julie, there's so much in here. I have to ask you a technical question really quickly because you mentioned RESP, which I think might be a Canadian benefit. Can you just briefly describe what that means? Absolutely. It's a registered savings account here in Canada, and we have the same as well for children. Anybody can opt in. It's a savings for retirement. Thank you for explaining that. So you just said so much, There's so much richness in everything that you said. There's so many different pieces that I want to pick up on, but I want to go briefly back to when you were growing up. You said your mom had bipolar disorder. Did you know at the time that she had that? My mom and I had a great open relationship. We were very close. She had me at 19 years old. So we were always very open in communication. So I did know. I noticed her behavior long before she actually started prescription medication and taking lithium. And then there was some bouts of depression and it was going up and down. And again, these spending sprees that I thought, this is not right. Sounds really challenging just to be a young person and observing that from your mom and trying to sort through that. I'm wondering the money messages that that left you with. Did you have a feeling about money as a result of observing what your mom was going through? I did. And it put a lot of pressure on me because I think as children, I try to be mindful of that with my own kids, that they should never have to be worrying about grown-up things like that, especially at such a young age. At that point, I was working more. So I felt pressure to get a second job and to contribute to our family. So I always felt uneasy. I always felt like there was not enough money or that it was going to come and go. All of these beliefs had been unconsciously passed on to me as I grew up. And when did you become aware of those beliefs? I think when I started, again, doing that personal work, when I started to have my first business in 2014, because it makes you look at all of those things. And for you to be selling yourself and promoting yourself and talking about your business and believing the value in what you're offering to people, that's when it really hit me. When it hit you, what was your reaction? And were you talking to anyone about it? Yes. I first started to have a business coach and that's when we started to do lots of mindset work. The first thing that we talked about is what are the money beliefs that you feel are true to you? She talked about going back to childhood and I thought, why would we go back so far? But as soon as we opened that can, it was like a can of worms and all of these words or statements or fears that were always passed on to me. Money doesn't grow on trees or we have to work really hard. All of these things that came back and I thought, I'm unconsciously doing these things in my own life and my own business. I need to sell more. I need to do this more. And it was always with force and pressure. And I had lots of underlying fear as well. 
that I relate to that time. Tell us about starting your first business. I heard a little bit about it on one of your podcasts, which we'll get to in a moment. But you started something that I think you initially thought would be very easy. I share my story a lot because it definitely resonates with people. Again, being an introvert and wanting to be behind the scenes. So I thought, oh, if I have all the logo and the marketing and the website and I mean, I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and I put myself in debt, but I was not showing up. I was not building relationships. So I was continuing that trend of going into debt and not being able to manage my money. And I eventually became profitable over time. But again, I wasn't taking a look at what my expenses were, how much profit I made from this. And again, I was just spending that money without knowing what to do with it. So that was challenging, especially. So I really feel for lots of people and lots of clients, especially who are going through that. And this was your French tutoring business? Yes. I first started teaching French and then I moved on to coaching for introverts. And tell us about that transition. What made you start a different business? When I was teaching French, I was actually going through my own personal growth in knowing how to meditate and take care of myself. And I truly realized that the way to grow is to work on those internal strategies. So to take a look at all those beliefs that you have throughout childhood and things that you have to face in order to promote yourself and to market yourself. And I thought, all this mindfulness is truly helping me. And then I started applying it to the children and also to the clients who I was working with, started to do lots of guided visualizations and people were having amazing results and people were enjoying French and people were traveling to France and they felt like a local and they just started seeing more results than they've ever done before working with them personally. And I thought, hey, how about I apply that to my own business in showing up for myself to my audience? And then I started noticing that a lot of people were asking me how to start a business, how to market. Oh, I really like the genuine way that you're showing up. It doesn't feel pressure to sign up with you. People feel the energy when something's happening. So they were asking a lot about that. And then I just followed that natural guidance and, well, let me explore that a little bit more. People were asking me if I could help them start a business. And then I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of feelings of well, why would I transition to something I've worked so hard to build and then I'm really good at? There's always people on the wait list and it's great. So there was definitely a leap of faith there, but I really, truly felt like it was my calling. It sounds like a lot of fun and that you've really matched your purpose and your passion with your business in really meeting your clients where they are too. So congratulations on that. Julie, will you tell us a little bit more about your marriage and the money aspects of your marriage? Yes, I've always deferred everything to my ex-partner when it came to taking on a loan for a vehicle, for signing any kind of contracts, for going to the bank for a line of credit, anything, even credit cards. I was a secondary card holder and I just did not want to look at it. And again, it all went back to shame. My mom wasn't taught about money. My grandmother wasn't taught about money. Nobody was. So that's just who I am. That's really what I believe. And I thought, I'm just going to pass this along to to him because he knows how to read contracts. And I didn't feel smart enough. I really didn't. When I was faced after my divorce to look at things and to have Melissa's guidance and saying, those are not big, scary words that you're looking at. There is a way for you to understand and be more knowledgeable about money. And that's exactly what happened. I was really proud of myself. Good for you. You should be. 
Isn't it interesting that big, scary words are used when it's quite often simple concepts? I love that you get partners and coaches and help along the way. You mentioned you did not know what you had and how you felt about that. Would you share more? And then how did you get your arms around knowing what you had? Again, I think it goes back to Melissa's wonderful guidance and taking a look at everything that I needed to set myself up for and my children to be moving forward on a positive note, anything relating to money. She was so kind with her time and her guidance and knowledge and teaching me all of that. It's actually enjoyable now. Every first of the month, I sit down and I take a look at my personal investments and my personal finances and my business as well. Things that I would never do because when you have your head like an ostrich in the ground, you just feel like, well, what can possibly happen when I'm not knowledgeable about anything? Sometimes it's better not to know, or that's what I was telling myself anyways. How old are your kids? 11 and 8. So you're still financial parenting with your ex-spouse. Yes. And we're doing that really well. And we give allowance to the kids. We started doing that maybe five years ago when they were quite young. He's also very aware that he's never managed money quite well, or he's never been taught. So we love doing that for the kids. And then they separate, I think, 30, 30, and then 40%, I believe, but they give to charity, they keep it for themselves, and they do the big savings for something big that they want. Like my son just purchased a scooter from this really popular gentleman who I started to follow as well, because he's great. Teaching them makes me feel really good and makes me proud as well, because that wouldn't be possible if I wouldn't have taken care of managing my money. So you've really gone through a period of personal growth. I was curious about how you both approach your children together. Have you taken a lead? Are you dominating a little bit more of the course of the money conversations you and your ex are having with your kids? I think that goes back to our cultures. I was born in Ontario, Canada in a French Canadian family. So we are very open about speaking about money, how much we paid for a house or a car. For that, I have no shame about, whereas his culture, he comes from a English, Irish background and talking about money is very shameful. We do not have conversations around that. It did differ when we were together. Also now the kids will come to me more for money questions. The other day, my son asked me what his stock was. I don't know where he heard that, but I definitely enjoy and feel good having those conversations with them. For other women and men who might be listening to this episode, who might be feeling the way you used to feel of, no, I'm just going to let my partner handle this because I just don't know. I'm not really smart with money. What advice would you give them based on your experience? I would say, don't wait until something really big happens where you're faced to have to deal with your money because it can feel really overwhelming. It looks really big, but Once you take a small step towards trying to make yourself more financially literate, which can happen at any age, I was really also shameful that I learned this at 44 years old. But again, when you speak to so many people, some people never learn. YouTube is a great way. I think we forget sometimes YouTube University, you can learn so much without spending anything just to get you started. There's so many free resources out there on how to start to learn how to manage your money and investing. Those are great points. Sometimes we take this on in a way that we have to figure it out in our little silos, but there are resources and they're free. And I also really liked the comment about the cultural differences. We talk about upbringings, but culture plays such an important part. 
I want to segue over to your clients. In your capacity as a business coach, as a quiet powerhouse, how are you talking quietly or not about money with your clients? Again, clients often have that shame and guilt around that. So we usually will focus on talking more about how to uplevel their mindset around that as well. I think it goes back to what can you do? What is a small action that you can do now to harness your finances? Whether it's a piece of information that you're finding out, you don't have to change anything overnight. You just have to do one small step towards learning something new and just celebrating that win is usually where we start. Excellent. Chipping away. That's right. And Julie, what advice do you have for introverts out there in terms of entering into money conversations? Money is not scary. We often feel like we're at the mercy of money, whereas we can be on the other side in a more commanding place with our money. And that can happen very easily and very simply. We make this big mountain out of it. Anybody can become more financially literate. And having those money conversations are so important. I think communication styles play a big role in our money conversations And as someone who likes to talk money with anyone who's willing to partner with me, I've observed that people who are more introverted really need some time to process the conversations that we have. I'm more extroverted in my approach. So I've always tried to keep that in mind, allowing my friends or family members who are introverted some time to think about the conversation and reflect, and then we come back to it money conversations don't have to be a one and done situation. In fact, they shouldn't be. It should be an ongoing conversation. Exactly. And I love that there's more women talking about money as well, because it's something that comes up a lot. Oh, well, you know, my husband or my partner or my dad used to take care of the money in our family. It's been like that for a long time. So it's nice to see women in that space. Absolutely. And I'm reflecting on something you mentioned earlier in the conversation about how when you were getting divorced, you really didn't have a sense of what you and your husband had financially. And one way to solve that problem for listeners who might be thinking to themselves, I wonder how I can get more on top of my own personal finances is to put a balance sheet together, listing out all the different assets that you own and your liabilities, debt, money that you owe to other people or institutions having that written out on a page with descriptions and numbers and sums can really help a person understand what they have. Yes. And can I add to that, that when I did that, I had an extra level of fear appear because it looks so much worse on paper because I hadn't been looking at everything for such a long time. You really relate it to your self-worth. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can completely detach emotions from what you see on that balance sheet. And again, going back to what is one small step to repaying debt, if we just want it to go away, we can just chip it away like you were saying earlier, Cami. What were the emotions that you were feeling when you were chipping away? You talked about that shame and guilt at the beginning, but then you built a plan and you started making progress toward changing the shape of your balance sheet. What did it feel like when you were making progress toward that? I have to say, when I was living before and not seeing what was coming in and out, I felt a lot of freedom. So I felt constrictive. I'm going to be completely honest. But then when I was doing my balance sheet and I took a look at everything that I was accomplishing, and again, making these new investments in stocks or GICs or different kinds of funds, I was thinking, 
wow, this is great. This is what people are talking about, this magic of compounding. It's an ebb and flow of emotion. Well, why haven't I been doing that so much longer? Okay, Julie, you're here now and you're doing the right steps and you're moving forward in the right way. So it was a constant ebb and flow, but I definitely felt really proud of myself and surprised that I could do this. Sandy, I'm going to be inspired from the book you just read. Julie, what you went through, initially, ignorance was bliss. And then with time came pride and freedom. And that's the new name for it. Yes, I felt really proud of myself. Julie, where do you want to go from here financially? What's the goal for you? What's your vision? My goal is definitely to learn more, be more knowledgeable, again, continuing my money journey, and also passing that on to my children so that they can shed those money beliefs that I probably passed on to them from a long time ago, but just so that they also harness that power of knowing what to do and not be afraid of money. And I'm actually diving into trying to learn a little bit of crypto as well. So that's new. That was something that was very scary. But once you start reading the books for dummies, this is exactly the work that I've done with Melissa too, is very step by step. So it is teachable. What's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? My son, we've been making flyers for him to start his business. So it's probably going to be that he wants to cut grass. And so we've been trying to find even a marketing angle for him. Anybody can cut grass at your age. What makes you special? He's using this push lawnmower. So we're, we're talking about that. That's going to be his way of making money. But then he was asking me the other day, he goes, okay, but I want to purchase a BMX with this. And I thought, well, it's great. You can purchase things that you want. That's why you're making extra money. But think about investing it or putting some aside or exactly what we do about the weekly allowance. So that would probably be with my son. Sounds like a great conversation. Thank you for joining us today. And for all you do, I reference the Quiet Powerhouse podcast you do and all your work. It's really important. And I appreciate you underscoring that if you're an introvert, doesn't mean you can't talk about this. It's really important and doesn't require an extrovert or an introvert. Everybody should be talking about money. So thank you. Thank you for having me. So grateful. Sandy, that was a great conversation with Julie. And she talks about being introverted, but her confidence in this conversation to me felt so extroverted. When she talked about her financial parenting with her ex, what were some of your aha moments, especially as we help some of our clients going through something similar? Julie covered so many different topics in this conversation, Cami, and I agree. She was so great to share with us the nitty gritty of what she was experiencing. And the financial parenting with an ex was a great topic for her to bring up. That's not something that we've really discussed on Money Tales before. It's one of those things that a couple that is no longer married or may never have been married We'll need to figure out together if they're no longer in a long-term relationship with each other. It's so idiosyncratic. I should preface that I'm talking about this from the context of parents with younger children. So I've seen situations where the parents have continued to have a really healthy relationship with each other. They have made sure that they're in sync about their values and their goals for the children and co-parented collaboratively from that perspective, making sure that they're in alignment with how they speak to and educate their children about financial matters. 
On the other side, I've seen couples who've gotten divorced and are not on the same page with each other at all. And because of that, the parents tend to handle the financial parenting completely separately. This can be a little confusing for the children if the parents have different values and if they have different preferences and behaviors around money. In those situations, I've seen the parents realize that they're not on the same page and sometimes they'll bring us in or they'll bring a therapist in or some other third party to help reconcile where they have alignment and help move the children forward from a financial parenting perspective. What I liked when Julie talked about her experience, this pride that came out that first she was able to give to her kids an education that she felt she was lacking when she was young, as well as she's overcome that shame and guilt that kept her reluctant in the marriage to being financially confident. She's learned. She talked about the gift she was giving her kids and she's right. I thought that was very powerful. It was great to hear Julie describe her situation and discuss how even though the marriage didn't work out, she and her spouse were still very respectful of each other. That's an important part as well, because it can be difficult for spouses who break up and have different values to maintain that respect. And the respect can be a very helpful ingredient for making sure that the family dynamics are healthy and productive in the years ahead. We want to thank Julie Greenham again for joining us on Money Tales, as well as you listeners. We appreciate you listening in. If the money conversation you heard today inspired you to continue your own money conversation or gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Find our website at asperient.com. There's a start a dialogue page that you can reach out. Of course, you can always email Sandy and me at podcasts at Asperient.com. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.